Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Lord, I'm hurting here. I need a miracle here. And that's what I'm going to preach on today. Go to Mark chapter 2. I'm going to preach on the four men that took the paralytic cut open the roof and lowered him down Father today speak to every heart of every person that is here and watching online in Jesus name and all of God's people said Amen, Amen. thank you Miss Becca Mark chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 Miss Carla it sure is good to see you this morning I see that playing drums saw you down there I graduated with Carla and Lenny they're much younger looking than I am but I'm not bitter about that but Anyway, Mark chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. He is in the house, amen? Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. That's key. Not even near the door. Another key. And he preached the word to them. Then he came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, they tore a hole open. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. I want to remind you today that God, hear this, is a God of principles. And principles are rules of operation. They are sets of best practices that produce, promote, and ensure the protection and the potential of a thing. For example, they are equivalent to tags filled with instructions. We have tags on our shirts, on our clothes. They come on the garments that you purchase. Instructions that say things like only wash in cold water. Because if you take a double X shirt and you wash it in hot water, it becomes a schmedium. <laughs> I know this. Those are principles that are sets of best practices intended to ensure the protection and the potential of a thing. That makes sense? So, the creator of the thing is saying, in order for you to protect this and get the most out of it, these are the sets of principles and practices that you need to follow. And so just as it is for assets, so is it for individuals. Because God knows what's in our best interest. And so he offers us a set of practices and gives us principles to ensure our protection. Because, listen church, there are things that want to get to you that can't get to you if you follow the instructions that God gave you. It can't happen. Now, not only do they ensure our protection, they also ensure the protection of our potential. So if I follow the instruction that the manufacturer and the creator set up for me or in the garment, the garment will last longer. Does that make sense? 
Because here's the thing. Some things wear down prematurely. They weather easily. Because the instructions that is intended to promote and produce the potential of that thing is not followed. I know I'm laying some groundwork here, but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. This is one of the areas the adversary tries to make sure that God's people are unaware of the tag that's on the back of their garment. I can't tell you how many clothes I have ruined because I did not read the tag on the back of the garment. I know it got quiet there because none of you believe that I do laundry. I understand that. But I do, Cody. All the time. My wife is a slave driver around my house. We won't go into that. It's a whole other sermon. By the way, did I tell you she forgot my birthday Wednesday? She didn't think I was going to remember, but I did. Funny story. Want to hear it? Telling it anyway. So... She's in the, rest, in the bathroom getting her hair did, and she's talking to Maddie on speakerphone. It's Wednesday the 17th. That's my birthday. I received cards and letters, still. But anyway, so she, I walk in there. It's been a couple hours. We've been out a couple hours. She said nothing about my birthday, Mark, nothing. I'm thinking, she forgot. This is going to be golden for me. I'm going to get a good year out of this, folks. Year. And so she's talking to Maddie. They're talking. I said, hey, girls, how are y'all doing? Maddie goes, good, Dad. How are you? I said, good. I said, you know what day it is? And Maddie goes, yes, I do. And Tracy looks at me. She goes, yeah, duh, it's Wednesday. (laughs) I said, babe, it's my birthday. And she just broke down and cried. Bless her heart. She's got her so bad. She just cries. It's okay. It's okay. Been married 33 years. Don't worry about it. You forgot. It's okay. I'm not mad. I have no idea where I'm at in my notes. Yeah. It's okay. Thank you. We'll go back to it. Some things wear down prematurely. They weather easily because instructions are not followed. That's the Lord saying, stop that, son. Leave her alone. (laughs) The enemy knows that he doesn't have to destroy you. Hear this. The enemy knows he doesn't have to destroy you if he can keep you uninformed regarding the principles that God's given to protect you. Faith in the Creator means more than just believing in God's person. It also means I've got to believe in His principles. There's a principle here that we find in our text that we read this morning that we have to embrace if we are serious about possessing God's promises, church. And that's the title that I've entitled this message, The Principle of Partnership. Write that down. And I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. You can't get what's best for yourself by yourself. You cannot get what's best for yourself by yourself. You can't possess everything that's for you with only you. Even though we live in a culture of independence, in God's kingdom, we've been created to operate in interdependence. 
And the Apostle Paul spends an entire chapter in the book of Corinthians trying to communicate this to people that had been swept up in the social norm and the cultural trend that I can just do it by myself. And they fail to realize that Jesus works through people for their benefit. What do you say? If the eyes says, I have no need for the hand, and the hand has no need for the feet, he is deceived. Because the power of all of us is greater than the power within any of us. And the enemy gets this. That's why he pursues, what's this? That's why he pursues the power of unity. That's why he wants to divide the church. This was said, that was said, I was offended here. And that's the enemy getting in there and dividing you. He's weeding you out. Setting you apart. And he attacks unity with a unique type of aggression. Psalms 133 says this, How good and pleasant is it for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil that ran from Aaron's beard down to his garment. Watch this. The beard represents the head, which is what? Christ. The garment represents the body of Christ. Hear this. He's saying the only way the oil that's on the head can get down to the body is if there's unity. That's what we call, church, a corporate anointing. Write that down. So, in an era and an age of radical individualism, the focus is on personal anointing. But Psalms 133 is referring to a corporate anointing. A unique and uncommon effectiveness is achieved and accomplished when we, church, come together. That's why it's so powerful to be in church. And when you're not in church, you're allowing... And I know things come up. I know some people have to work. I know, I know, I get that. I'm not saying you've got to be here every time the door's open. But I'm saying it's important. It is important for you to be in church. That's why the enemy wants to keep us apart because he realizes that when the eye hooks up with the head and the head hooks up with the ear and the ear hooks up with the arm, the arm hooks up with the leg, we can go places that we couldn't go if we were operating independently. That's what makes him nervous. It's the principle of partnership. And every principle that God proclaims is a principle that God practices himself. Anything he proclaims, he practices. Anything he instructs us in is an area he's an example in. See, the principle of partnership isn't seen in the people first. It's seen in God. As God creates the human species in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, uh, records God saying, let us. Let's just look at it. Look at Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in what? Our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, birds, the air, cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This church was a result of divine collaboration. That even God, hear this, even God needed an us. And if God needed an us to create things, then there are things that only we can create with an us. See, we live in a cultural context where the focus is on me. 
And watch this, as a result, we are wiped out, we are burnt out, we are stressed out because we don't understand the power of partnership. I pray that in this season, God sends you the right us. I pray that in this season, God shows you the right us. Because sometimes, hear this, He sends people because they're not in your life other times. He's got to show you they're there, you just don't see them. See, some people are struggling right now because they don't see you. They are underutilizing the oil that is on you. They are underutilizing the ability that is in you because they have not recognized the power of us. Let us make man in our image. Solomon, the wise man, says this in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one. Two are better than one. He didn't say you don't have any return if there's only one. He said it's a good return. And reward, though, if there's two. Now, if you don't mind, and I know you don't because I do it all the time, but let me use some bad English here. Bad English but good theology. Things get gooder with two. Miss Foreman wouldn't like that, would she? No, she wouldn't. Things get gooder with two. Look at verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Come on. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Let's take it a step further and look at God's covenant name. Jehovah. Covenant meaning more than one individual. God is a God of partnership, church. There are some things that are not created without an us. So having faith in God's person also means having faith in God's principles and understanding the power of partnership. And Mark chapter 2 reveals this principle of partnership and action. So now that I've laid some groundwork about partnership, let's get into our text. This text right here exposes us to an individual that is suffering from some sort of paralysis. He's suffering with an issue that has surrendered him completely immobile. Now keep this in mind. Maybe even write this down. Every physical miracle in the Bible is a metaphor for spiritual miracle. Remember that. So let's not just look, church, today at this paralysis, literally, let's look at the paralysis metaphorically. Metaphorically, the paralysis represents what? Immobility. It represents people who can't move. And so sometimes the immobility is the issue, and sometimes the immobility is the result of an issue. Okay? Because listen, heartbreak can leave you immobile. Hearts can be broken, destroyed, and wounded, and it will make you hold yourself hostage to a prison you call protection. I'm preaching better than you're a man, but that's okay. I'll work for it this morning. Disappointment will make you immobile. Betrayal will make you immobile. Some of you have been hurt by what happened in your past, 
and you're willing to stay stuck in your present rather than run the risk of somebody new becoming a nemesis. You just stay stuck in that, in that, in that past. We have a person here in this text that is immobile. Someone gets word to him that Jesus is in the house. He's in town. He's doing miracles. He's preaching. We don't know where that paralyzed man's house is. But somehow he got word that Jesus was in a house in town where he lived. So they're in the town, but they can't get the miracle. And that's what? They get in the house. They got to get to that house. Which represents, what's this? Not just a physical or spiritual house. It represents the place where Jesus is. He's saying, if you want this, you have to get to where I am. You've got to meet me on my terms. Hear that, church? Sometimes Jesus is like, you can't find me because you wear, W-E-A-R, where I left. Think about that. You wear where I was. And you're trying to find Jesus the same way you found him three years ago. Whew. But hear me, church. God moved to make you move. Even though he's omnipresent, he reduces or reduced your sense of his presence in order to motivate you to move from one spiritual place to the next. So there's a reason you can't feel him the way you used to. It's not that he's not there. The Bible says he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. It's that he's using the feeling trying to pull you into another place of intimacy with you that you wouldn't go to if he let you feel his presence the way you used to. You get that? So they got word that Jesus is in this house doing miracles. The text says, there are men that pick up this man and carry him to where Jesus is. Now remember, there's no cell phones. There's no way to communicate. They have no way of knowing how long Jesus is going to be there doing miracles. They don't even know if he's still going to be there when they get there. But I want you to picture the men that are carrying this weight. Walking to where Jesus is. Four men carrying the paralytic. Hoping he'd still be there. They're not walking by sight. They're now walking by faith. Hoping that Jesus is still going to be there when they arrive. I hope you're ready for this, church. Their faith is seen in their willingness to walk with weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. Their faith is seen in their willingness to walk with weight. Anybody here feel like you're carrying something really heavy today? Anybody ever felt like, you know what, you're carrying something so heavy that you just want to let go? Come on, I'm preaching to myself. Anybody feel like you've been carrying something so heavy for so long that you're running out of hope? And belief that you're going to be able to relieve the weight. They're walking by faith. Hoping that when they get to Jesus, he's going to make the weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, worth the W-A-I-T. Come on, girl. I don't know who this is for today, but I'm telling you, if you're willing to walk with the weight, when you get to Jesus, Jesus will make the weight worth the weight. He said, I'll give you beauty for ashes. 
I'll turn your mourning into dancing. I'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I'll exchange that with you. When you get to Jesus, church, it will be worth it. Look at your neighbor and say, it's worth it. I had a friend tell me one time that we went through a just awful, horrendous experience. And I said, we were talking about it. I said, well, explain to me how you got through it. He said something that I'll never, ever forget. He said, God has done such an incredible work in my life now. He said, Craig, I remember it hurt, but I can't remember what it felt like. I'll never forget that. He said, what God has done in this season has brought me so much joy. I remember that hurt, but I can't remember and I can't reconnect with that pain. Because what God did in his present season exceeded the memory of his pain in his past season. So they're walking to Jesus. Trying to get to this house. Only to discover that they're not the only ones that had the idea. Because when they get there, it's packed. It's crowded. Come on, the Bible said they had to cut a hole in the roof. It's crowded with what? People that were wanting something too. They could have incorrectly assumed that because everybody else wants it, that they're not going to get what they need. They could have seen that crowd and said, you know what, there's just too many people. And they, walk, they could have walked away. Come on, let's just be honest, church. There are a few places that we get excited about when the place is packed out. If you're a pastor, when your church is packed out, you get excited about that. When we did the next level of power team crusade here a few years back, we had 800 people in this room. Four lines deep. I mean, just packed. Over 240 people came forward and gave their heart to Jesus. That was exciting. But when you go to a restaurant, and it's packed, you don't walk in and say, Whoo, look, I'm going to have to wait 30 minutes. Yes. Awesome. Woo. Love it. That's not very exciting. You go to a movie theater, and it's packed. That's not exciting. I like to go to a movie theater that seats maybe 70, 80 people, and there's four people there. That's my kind of movie theater to go to. But when they, so when they get to this house, they see the crowd, the multitude of people. I believe, per, personal opinion here, I believe their first emotion had to be in disappointment. Oh my gosh, look at the people. Because the text says they couldn't even get close to the door. Typically a door, what is the only way you're going to get into a room? And they're probably assuming, if I can't get through the door, I can't get to it, we definitely can't get in that room where Jesus is. I mean, that's just my opinion. Probably some thoughts that went through their head. I can't prove that textually, so I'm just giving you my, kind of my opinion. Church, listen, it's easy to live with these assumptions. You might say, well, if I can't get in this way, then it's not going to happen. Or if it doesn't happen by this time, then it's just not going to happen. So if I don't go through the door, I can't get in the room. Their faith, watch this, had to survive walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Because that disappointment is death to their expectation. They had to be let down. 
when you're expecting something, come on, and you're extending effort toward that something, and it looks like that something is not going to happen, it dampens your expectation. If you're human, it will dampen your expectation. Now, for some people, it may not dampen it, but I guarantee you, it will reduce it down. It's when we adjust our expectation because of the crowd that's cutting the door and not because of Christ that's in the room. But something happened. Watch this. And their faith was strengthened to the point that they survived their disappointment. Here's a question I want you to write down because I want you to keep it in your notes, stick it on your fridge, wherever you keep your notes, add in your phone, whatever, write this down. When disappointment comes into your life, does your faith leave? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Because when you get disappointed, I promise you, it deflates your faith a little bit. But does it leave? They had to be willing, watch this, to keep believing that it was possible. It's still possible to get in this room. It's still possible that Jesus will heal our friend. And even though everything they see says to them, it's not going to happen. Listen, it's still, it's still possible. And if you get nothing out of this message this entire day, I hope you get this. Understand this. The importance, understand the importance of the distinction between unlikely and impossible. Here's what I want you to get. Watch this. Unlikely is it is what it is. It's just unlikely. But unlikely is not impossible. It's not impossible. As a matter of fact, God only operates in the realm of impossibilities. Obviously, these men understood that because they did something unlikely. <laughs> they decide, we go going to the roof. I can't help but believe that these boys were probably from Oklahoma. Because this sounds like something Oklahoma boys would do. Good old southern boys. We go going to the roof. They say we can't go to the door? Fine. We go going through the roof. Write this down. Faith bursts creativity. Faith bursts creativity. The very fact that they went that way is an indication that other people didn't. Theologians say we shouldn't envision these roofs the way the roofs were built today. Okay? Number one, roofs, they were lower. Number two, they're flat. Number three, there were stairwells that actually led to the roof. A lot of people don't know that, but if you research it, that's what you'll find. So the stairs have been there the whole time, but nobody went that way. Get ready to get a goosebump. You ready? Faith will let you see stairs that other people miss. Not anybody else went that way. Faith will let you see stairs everybody else will miss. God will show you where to look. Just like Abraham, when he got ready to sacrifice Isaac, God had to show him where to look for the ram in the thicket. So there's always, church, there's always another way to get it done. Faith will help you see stairs everybody else is ignoring. Now, let's not forget, there are four men carrying him. What are we talking about? The principle of partnership. 
Now, I'm going to give you, I don't do this a lot, but I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to give you my opinion, okay? This is my opinion. This is First Limlethonians 7-2. My opinion, all right? And that's all it is. That and 50 cents to go buy you a cup of coffee, okay? I don't believe all four men saw the stairs. Probably just one person saw the stairs. Because sometimes, church, you need additional eyes. The principle of partnership. The Bible says they go on the roof and tear a hole in it. Mark 2, 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. This isn't even their house. This house belongs to somebody else. Not even their house, Beck. Tear a hole in the roof. Lower the man down through the roof. And it says, Jesus saw their faith. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, what? Son, your sins are forgiven you. It didn't say when Jesus saw his faith, it says when he saw. Mm -hmm. That can mean two different things. There, T-H-E-I-R, can mean he saw the faith of all five of them. That's corporate faith. That's collective faith. Or he saw the faith of some of them, but maybe not all of them. And responded to the faith of some of them, but not all of them. So one is corporate faith, the other is, watch this, intercessory faith. That's what the other one is. If it's not corporate, it becomes intercessory faith. So let me shake your theological tree for just a moment. It's possible that everybody there did not believe. It's possible. But Jesus not only receives intercessory prayer, church, Jesus also responds to intercessory faith. There are times when people stand in the gap with their prayers. That's intercessory prayer. We need it. Then there are times when people stand in the gap with their faith. That's intercessory faith. Another example of intercessory faith is found in John chapter 11 where Lazarus is dead. Not was dying, is dead. D-E-A-D, not coming back. Right now, anyway. When you're dead, you can't believe for yourself. You're dead. But Lazarus experiences a resurrection. Because their sisters said, Jesus, you can't use his faith, but you can ours. Am I in the right church? Did y'all just hear what I, did they just hear what I said, Lenny? Jesus, you can use our faith. Church, hear me. You need people in your life who can do more than just pray for you. You need people in your life who can believe with you. I'm standing in agreement with you. I'm believing with you. So when your faith is paralyzed and you can't believe for yourself, people stand in the gap and say, Jesus, you can depend on my faith. The text says he saw their faith. But what did he say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven. Think about this. 
Now, I'm, I'm not trying to blow anybody up here, but I kind of got a problem with this. Here's what I mean. <laughs> because if I'm one of his friends, I'm like, I carried all this weight all this time. You don't know where we came from to bring this boy to you. I mean, he is literally dead weight. He cannot move. We're carrying him. I've done the tour of the roof off this house. I'm probably going to have to pay for this later. But I'm so committed to getting the results, I'm willing to deal with the ramifications. So Jesus, thank you for forgiving him of his sins, but we didn't carry him all this way to just get his sins forgiven. He's sick. We came for him to get healed. I didn't carry him all this way just for sins forgiven. That's a bonus. He can forget forgiven at home. Once again, I've been carrying the weight. Do you catch that, Jesus? Carried him all the way so he could get healed. <laughs> what do you do when the first need that Jesus meets isn't what you think your greatest need is? Woo! What do you do? Here it is. In order for Jesus to meet your needs, he has to assess it. And sometimes there are two different assessments about what's priority. Because the thing that's most painful to you may not be priority to Jesus. Hear that, church? You're ready to walk first. You want to deal with the outer man first. But the priority for Jesus is the inner man. So God is using this outer issue to get you to him. So you can see you need something you didn't know you needed. You thought you just needed relief from the pain. But God used the pain to help you see you need a forgiveness. Maybe, I'm not just, I mean, I'm just saying, maybe Jesus dealt with his forgiveness first because he knows that forgiveness affects your faith. It will affect your faith. Big time. Hear this, church. Guilt, write this down. Guilt is a faith killer. Whew. Guilt is a faith killer. Some people don't have faith because they don't believe God can. And some people don't believe, you know, some people, you know, don't have faith because they don't believe that God can't. They just don't believe that God will do it for them. What did Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Look, Mark 11, 2, 11 says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Here's what I want you to think about. If that's me, I'm that man, and I can get up, I would have already gotten up. But maybe part of the way Jesus healed me is giving me instruction to do something I think I'm incapable of. Not only did Jesus tell him to get up, he tells him to carry the thing that's been carrying him. <laughs> Whoo! You didn't hear that. Not only did he tell him to get up, he said, now, take what's been carrying you and take it with you. Sometimes, church, we think we need to leave it 
And Jesus is like, no, you need to carry it. And you need to carry it to remind yourself that God will carry the thing that used to carry you. I will preach up in this house today. You need it. My goodness. He said, get up, take your mat, go home. Verse 12, Mark 2. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, went out in the presence of them all, so that all, everybody say all, all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He got into the roof. He walked out the door. And full, in full view of everybody. Into the roof, out to the door. Full view, everybody. I'm here to tell you, church, people may have been looking at you crazy when you went through the roof. But they're going to look at you in amazement when you walk through the door. Because God is going to do it in full view of all of them. Woo. I can stop right there, but I'm going to keep going a little bit. Can I keep going a little bit? Okay. It says that this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. God uses this illustration so you and I can see the power and principle of partnership. Church, we are in this thing together. We are family. We have unity. Listen, I've got, I've got distant family. You're closer to me than my distant family is. We are truly better together. And the sooner that we realize this principle of partnership, the sooner we can walk in all that God has for us. Did you get anything out of this today? I'm done right there. I'm going to stop right there. I'm done. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, there are people here that are hurting. There are people here they're like that paralytic. And Lord, there are people here that have been taking the arms and hands of those hurting. Father, thank you for the power of partnership. Thank you for us being the church to help each other to get through this thing that we're going through. And Lord, when we get up and we walk out, let us take our mat with us so it's a reminder of what all that you have done in our past. That it can be a testimony. I wonder today, maybe watching online or here in this sanctuary, you're here and you said, I have been wounded. I sat here hurt today. I sit here not understanding some things are happening in my life today. And I need you, Craig, to pray for me because I am so hurt and down and depressed, if you will, that I can't even pray for myself. That's you. Slip your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father God, Every hand that was just raised. I stand in the gap. And I believe. I don't just pray, God. I believe that you're going to meet that need. That you're going to raise them up, Lord. You're going to heal that hurt. You're going to heal that depression. You're going to heal that past pain. 
You're going to cause him, Lord, to rise up and walk. And it will be in full view and amazement to those around them. I thank you for that power in Jesus' name. All of God's people said? Amen. Man, can we just give the Lord a hand clap? Because he's any good. God's just so good. This morning, let me say this as we're being dismissed. If you would stand, please. We're winding down a year. 2021 is almost over. 2022 will be here before we know it. There are some things that God's going to instruct you to do as individuals here. And God's just showing me this, so I'm just, I'm just repeating what the Lord's showing me. There's going to be some things that God's going to re- ask you and require you to do that you're going to look at and say, there's no way. I, I can't do that. And God will say to you, you're right, you can't. But with me, you can do all things. And so I want you to begin to prepare yourself, not just mentally, I want you to begin to prepare yourself with the Word and spiritually. Lord, prepare my heart to take on what you're going to ask me to do in 2022. Prepare me to be a sanctuary for those that are hurting for those that need a positive word. And God's going to give you strength. God's going to give you endurance. And God's going to give you a word to speak in the lives of those people. And it's coming. And I want to tell you something. I believe this. I'm saying this by faith. That our unity here is awesome. So good in this church. But it's going to get gooder in 2022.